Welcome to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Join us for turkey and deer hunting tips, information, and stories. And now your host, Todd Hogan. Hey, welcome to Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales. I'm your host, Todd Hogan. I'm joined by team members Ronnie Belfield and Nathan Oberberg. How are you guys doing today? Doing good, man. How are you? Doing good. good. We're going to kind of do a uh, summer prep work uh, podcast here to kind of talk about what we're doing and uh, and getting ready for the uh, upcoming season. I think, what is today? It's 16th, so we've got about 62 days. Yeah, 62 days. Dogs are dropping bones above us. That's great. (laughs) Anyway... uh, Quick, uh, quick hit list of what you've got. To, you guys have got to do before the season gets here. So, Ronnie, go ahead and take off. Um, well, my summers I always start with uh, brush hogging, of course, getting stuff ready for food plots, and uh, I usually pull my stands at the end of the year, and then I'll put them back out first part of the year. Uh, usually, I just like leaving them out over the winter and everything else, just safe on straps and squirrels and everything else eating on them. But yeah. Uh, I've already got several sets up and hung. I've got, I planted beans probably close to two months ago now, I guess. We planted four acres of beans. So I'm hoping that they're turning out good. Uh, The only ag around us is like 20 miles away. So hopefully the beans really hit. I do always do food plots out there and the food plots always, they kill them. I mean, they destroy them every year, but I'm hoping the beans really bring them in and, uh, I can already see browsing pressure on them, so I know they're working, but I'm anxious nice. to see what happens once they finally canopy out. And How high up are they now? Probably about 10 inches, somewhere okay. in there. Um, so the leaves are getting big, so I would imagine if we get a few good rains, I would imagine they'll canopy out. That rain last night probably helped yeah, quite a bit. really good. But um, what, what do you got going on, Nathan? Um, I, I mean, just so far this summer, um, we just kind of, um, the farm... Todd and I hunt. Um, we have ag pretty close. Uh, we, we got some pretty good ag fields, so um, we don't do too much. I probably, what do you say, probably three years ago now? Maybe four, I don't know. I started over from scratch, burned and cleared off a couple of different areas and put some put some clover plots in just for some different uh, early season uh, browse for the, because it, it, that clover pops up pretty quick before yeah. the ag and everything just to give deer something so yeah so we uh we you know we've went in and cut them several times uh just to keep the weeds off of them i haven't sprayed them i was gonna wait until i killed off the rest when we go put our fall plots in which will be hopefully hopefully right around a month uh we've noticed that if we can get a rain in the middle of august and, and get them fall plots in they typically get a little a little bigger before the deer mm-hmm. actually hit them real hard from the row crop that we have. What I generally beg for there, and I know the people on the coast hate it, especially or the Gulf, but uh, I'm always looking for a hurricane. A hurricane. <laughs> Something to roll right up yep. over the Midwest. Exactly. <laughs> yep. That, that's what uh, that's what we do. So typically, like I said, the first big rain, we'll go get a couple of fall food plots uh, put in. But I mean, really, other than that, um, I've you know been. Uh, been just I don't have cameras out personally I was gonna wait this year because the last few years Todd and I have noticed the uh, the, the bucks we get uh, summer pictures of tend to vacate and we get a whole new set of bucks come in um, come fall so it's kind of 
they do a little swap and then late season those bucks if they make it through gun season they tend to filter back in um, for late season so I'm gonna wait till probably I put food plots out to get cameras out and uh, start checking on some things there but uh, other than that that's really about it I'm gonna go to more because I had some good success with it last year I got a couple stands still up but I had some really good luck with my hanging hunt setups uh, last year. I'm even uh, looking possibly into getting a saddle, but I have a, a couple of the uh, tree sticks and a couple lightweight aluminum stands that I just had really good success with last year, and that's probably what I'm going to lean on for this year as opposed to any permanent stands. Becoming part of the Hunting Beast Forum? I Well, <laughs> I, again, those, those boys and the hunting public and everything else, I, I you know, I've, we, we all watch quite a bit of their stuff. and. It just, again, that, that buck I killed last year went in, and, I mean, I wasn't in the stand for 10 minutes, and them deer never knew I was there, and I shot him right underneath my tree. I, I mean, he that deer never never had a clue I was there. Um, it just seems that most of our stand spots, you know, we, we put around food and food plots and everything else. They come into it, but they're, they're very attentive, very, you know, very alert, and if you make a mistake, you're going to be in trouble. They've got... They've got us patterned like we've got. Like oh, we yeah. got them they watch patterned. us as much as we watch them. <clears throat> yeah. You better believe it. They know. Brian's been pe- preaching at me for years to get off the food plot and get down off in the woods. And this year I'm going to make, because I'm healthy, I'm going to make a point to do that. Uh, maybe do some hanging hunts. I don't have a, I'll probably do it with a climber. But uh, he's like, you know, those big bucks, you notice they only show up on this plot at night because mm-hmm. they know you're here. So. And the thing is, a lot of times those bucks could be laying right next to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've jumped multiple big deer off of 20 yards off the edge of a food source in, a, in the woods, and you won't see them until after dark. I mean, they just get up and stay there. So catching them before they get to that point is can definitely work out. Yeah. Um, let's talk bucks. Um, Ronnie, you got any bucks from last year that you know you're getting this year? Not yet. Our farm's really different because – like Nathan was saying, early season, we really don't – I really typically don't get any pictures of bucks. I don't get too excited over pictures. I'm basically – I have my cameras up to see if something does show up, but mostly to see what the does are doing because that's what the bucks are going to be doing because we really don't put any pressure on the does. I might kill one early. Other than that, we leave them alone because, like, first part of October, the light switch gets flipped on our place, and then bucks start showing up like crazy. Yep. So. Um, if we do get anything early, like Nathan was saying, they're usually gone. Usually muzzleloader season, 1st of January, they'll show back up. But that's if they even show up then. But So I won't really get too good inventory on bucks from last year. I'm hoping we have one 11-pointer. I actually passed him two years ago with my bow and my gun bowl. And he was really nice then. He showed up last year um, when my dad killed that buck with his gun this year. I asked him if it had a dark rack or a light rack, and he said it had a white rack, and that's why I thought it was an 11-pointer, because he's not real wide, but he's tall and real heavy, and he's got a really light rack, and that's what he said, so that's the figure. I figured that buck was him, because I was getting pictures of him almost daily in that same field, but he obviously ends up killing, it's the biggest one that's ever been over there, but... That was a buck. He's a whopper. But, uh, yeah, so hopefully here, you know, first part of October, we'll start seeing stuff that's made it from last year, but... I uh, I moved some cameras around like you and I talked about a while ago, and I'm getting pictures of bucks now. 
and they usually transfer over. Uh, our farm split in half, so there's 10 acres on one side of the highway, and then the rest is on the other. So early season, all all the bucks stay on the 10 acre piece. I don't know why. It's super thick. There's a creek there. I'm assuming so they can eat acorns, get up, get a drink of water, go right back to bed when it's hot. I mean, if you think like us, we don't want to be out no walking around looking for food and drink when it's hot. So if he can bed right by everything he's got, there's no reason to move. So they typically do that, and then, like I said, the 1st of October, when they start getting interested in the ladies, they know where they're at on our side because we always have the food, and then they usually come over to us. But It's weird how sometimes they'll summer someplace and they show up another. Yeah. You, you, the farm that Nathan and I hunt, uh, in the river bottom, there's probably, oh, between the whole bottom, there's probably six, 700 acres between Kingslands. And, <clears throat> and those deer summer down there, I don't get too worried about it. I mean, every now and then I'll get a few pictures on our farm. Mm-hmm. We're probably, what, half mile from there, maybe a little more. Yeah. But generally by the time the beans start turning, we start getting pictures. Yeah. So, Nathan, you don't have any cameras out yet, but um, did you have any bucks that you know made it through? And I'm curious, too, because we hunt the same farm, that you know made it through the uh, through the year? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, there's one I'm real interested in. Um, he actually... Two years ago, he was a half-racked, well, I assume, eight-pointer because uh, his one side was broke completely off. He had a, probably about an inch stub of it left. And this past year, I, I just, again, I'm assuming it was the same deer, but he had blew up, and it, his one side that was a four-point side last year, it, it turned into a five-point side. And the other side, it was really wild because it came up just normal, but at the very end of his main beam, it almost made like a ball and it had about three or four points coming off of, you know, just this almost like palmation on the end of his rack. And I, I would say just a guess, I, you know, he was, you know, in the 125, 130 range, as I would assume a three and a half year old, um, you know, could be a very good deer. And I saw him during muzzleloader season uh, and muzzleloader season was late this year. It actually went into January. Yeah, it was like so, January fourth or fifth um, for a close. I would I would say the chances of that deer making it uh, are pretty good. And I, again, the jump he made from from two to three, I'm anxious to see where he's at. Uh, the picture you sent me the other day um, was of a deer that I had several pictures of when I had uh, cameras out all last summer, just you know getting pictures of velvet growth and. Uh, He's probably going to be a dandy this year. It's probably a four-and-a-half-year-old deer. I think he's um, – I mean, it's tough to tell this kind of year, but it looked to me like he – you know, you can tell a young deer. And this deer had – you can tell he's going to have good mass. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they all look huge with the velvet yeah, on. But it's tough to get an idea. It, this thing has Coke bottle – I mean, Coke can bases right yeah. now. I'm actually looking on my phone to, like, show a picture to, to uh, Ronnie. But um, – so, yeah, those are, and it's interesting, you were telling me about that one. The, the one I, when we hunt the same farm again, but uh, the one I was chasing last year, Dozer, that uh, had kind of disappeared after rifle season. It had scared me. He was back in, um, he was back in late January. So, uh, I know he survived. Now, there was one that I was chasing at the beginning of last year that uh, he went in the 160s, I think. I and Nathan so. texted me a picture and goes, does this look like your buck? 
And I said, yeah, that's him. And he was dead, and he died, what, about yeah. two miles Some, from where we were? Somebody was sitting behind him in that, yeah. In that picture. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, he was, I mean, he was definitely by far our number one hit lister going into last year. And, I mean, if he would have made it. But, now, is Dozer who you're calling, um, is that that big frame nine-pointer that you were talking about? Yeah. Because he should still, I was going to say, he should still be around as well. Oh, um, yeah, he is. He is, Ernie. Because I saw, um, I got several pictures of him. Yeah, I know, I know that's that that's that eight pointer that I had pictures of all summer last year. But, um, but yeah, I, I, he should still be running around somewhere. And I'm, again, I saw, I saw, I had encounters late season with several, uh, you know, three year old bucks. And I told you I hunted on the ground that one evening, and I had him. I mean, I could, I could hear the air coming out of his nose from him sniffing around he got so close to me on the ground so um you know several good uh, young up-and-comers that might need at least a year maybe two but it, it should make it fun we should have some good deer to look at for sure um moving ahead a little bit uh and you guys kind of touched on this uh tree stands you guys doing any summertime i mean do you do you guys nathan you're talking about you're doing a lot of um you know, hanging hunts, but saying you've got some stands hanging, but are you going to, are you going to hang any more in the, in the, you know, in the next couple months or I'll just kind of throw out my opinion. I like to put them up, but I try to avoid too much trimming because yeah. although it looks like you're, it's, you can't see anything come November, you'll, it'll be bare. Yeah. I like cover. That's what a big question has always been is how high do you hunt with a tree stand? I never get, I don't think there's a height you have to get to. I hunt cover. No. So if cover is 10 foot off the ground or it's 30 foot off the ground, I'm either going to hunt 10 foot or 30 foot off the ground. Like, I don't got to be 20 foot in a tree no matter what because 20 foot in a tree may not work. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I always hunt cover. And I'm the same way. If I'm hanging stands now, if there's big stuff that's in the way, I'll cut it. But the little stuff, I leave it till season starts just because that limb with the leaves gone could not affect anything. But that's just one more thing to break up my outline or, you know, whatever in the tree. So. I usually hold out to do my fine trimming till time. It's yeah. real funny you say that, Ronnie, because on that uh, on that buck that I killed last year, it was it, it was a hanging hunt again. But and Todd will tell you on the other side of the road of this farm that we hunt, it dives off like crazy. I mean it it takes off, and I mean it. Some of it goes into a bluff down to the river. So I mean it. it there are several plateaus, but. I knew when I went in there, there was a plateau right before a cedar thicket, and we know them deer bed in there, and it just was a good spot early morning for a buck to come cruising on that plateau up above them, uh, up above that bedding area. Um, so I wasn't expecting to see a lot of deer, but like you talked about, you you know you put your stand where cover is. Well, in this particular tree, and again this going up, you know from where there's from where I'm expecting the deer to be, they're way down below me. So if I get too high up in a tree, I'm skyline like crazy. Mm -hmm. So I literally, and I'm not kidding you, I put two sticks in that tree. I could have jumped up and touched the platform of my tree when I shot this deer and he came underneath the tree that I was in. My platform was no more than eight, eight and a half foot in the air. and again, those deer come right underneath me. Were you rethinking at the time? Like, I'm too low? I, I, I did. Well, but again, though, once you, you know, when you look down below you because yeah. that plateau, I mean, if you take it from the plateau, I'm 25 feet in the air. Yeah. yeah. 
but by the time you get up that ridge just a little bit to where I'm at, again, I, I'm eight, I'm eight, eight and a half feet in the air uh, yeah. to my platform. So and it's, it's it, kind of the same way with, uh, and you on Illinois a little bit, hunting ditches. You may be at the field level, but if you're looking off in the ditch where you expect them to come through, I mean, you could be 35 foot above them. Well, that buck I killed in Illinois this year, my wife and I were both in the same tree, and I bet we weren't more than 15 feet off the ground. I mean, we were... I just found a tree that had a ton of limbs, and I was able to get both of us in there, and we were covered up in deer all night long, and not one looked up at us. You know what I mean? So I just, the whole how high do you hunt, I don't. And, and, even, and again, it's, it's, this is my opinion, and I mean, I know there's a lot of guys say, you know, they got to get 30 feet in a tree, but to me, then your Brian shot Johnson. angle. I, yeah. It, it, you know, to me, your shot angle. Uh, yeah. A lot of your shot angles, if those deer get close and tight yeah, to you, fifteen yards. And well, that's... and you're looking at a one lung shot. Yeah. And how many how many deer have you guys one lung shot and had to track for a long mm-hmm. way? They or, run a long you way. Know, yeah. And they can live for a long time. I mean, you can bump those deer and everything else. So, so to me, I again, I don't feel the need to go that high for those that do. I mean, again, when you got thermals come involved and maybe you know trying to keep your scent up above them, I understand that just i i prefer not to i i don't think i think that's too high in a tree myself but there's a line um like i was just saying you guys my partner brian johnson he'd like to go 50 foot in a tree if he could and i've let him hang stands for me before and i'm like and i'm not scared of heights but i'm like good night man i'm not sure i want to go up that in pitch black because i'm not sure where it ends yeah (laughs) yep absolutely (laughs) so do you guys you guys leave some stands up, and you were saying earlier, uh, Ronnie, that you pull straps and stuff and, and take them down. But when you've got some of those up, Nathan, are you resetting straps and stuff? That's typically what I'll do. Is that it for, I mean, I'll occasionally, when again, when we go put fall food plots in or whatever else, I'll, I'll go take a look at it or I may climb it. But I mean, typically, and Todd, you and I have talked about it before. Typically, I'll just throw a couple of them scent straps in my pack. Yeah. And, and I'll just go throw another one. I mean, I, I've got stands that have got, you know, that have got three straps on it, oh. you know, in one spot just just because. And, again, just to, just to stay out of there, I, I don't like putting any more of my scent in there, mm-hmm. and, and especially where I'm going to be hunting directly from, if I can avoid from it. And, it again, it's kind of like that hang and hunt mentality. You know, if I can stay away from there, take a strap in with me mm-hmm. and just as i'm climbing up there go you know go cinch another one on it or whatever I, i'm that's you know it, it's worked out for me so far i i haven't had one bust loose on me hoping that uh <laughs> that never happens. yeah not right wood. <laughs> yeah I'd, I'd rather spend the 12 dollars on a set of ratchet straps and make sure that yeah work instead of uh, right me taking a tumble out you wanted a stand that i had put up probably 18 years ago this year and i told you i was like whatever you do it's got the same set of straps on it. Put a new, definitely don't step in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what Todd didn't know in 18 years that 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 stand had grown into the tree, and that thing ain't going nowhere. <laughs> you would have to cut the steel out from around that thing to get it out of the tree. That's probably one of the most sturdy stands you'll ever get in. <laughs> I know my daughter will be 18 in uh, in September, and I hung it the year she was born, so I knew that's exactly how old it was. But <laughs> and it was uh it's one of those i don't know what make it was but it was a at the time i thought that's awesome because it's a monster stand it's huge it's nice and i didn't have any climbing uh gear i just was drilling 
screwing steps into the tree and going up the tree. And that son of a bitch felt like I was lugging an elephant up the side of the tree. <laughs> and then when I got up there and was dangling by one arm, and it's pretty good ways up. It's 22, 23 foot up. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, this is kind of hairy. Yeah. <laughs> and just just to let everybody know, I did go ahead even still and put two new straps on it, <laughs> one on the top and on the bottom for so before everybody starts getting after me. But trust I, me, that stand's not going anywhere. No, I hadn't hunted it in years, and so Nathan was telling me about it. So I went down and hunted it one day. And I was like, yeah, that's not too bad. I appreciate uh, Nathan putting a couple new straps on yeah. here. And, but um, um, crop rotation, does that, guys, does that affect, I don't know, you don't, we, we hunt a farm uh, where the crops rotate from year to year. You guys look into that as to where you're hanging stands or, or just kind of, it is what it is and I've got this farm, I've got to hunt it no matter what. Or do you, do you typically know, like on Georgia's, farm that you hunt you know sometimes there's beans and it's the deer seem to be better on those years and what do you think Ronnie? well around here i really don't get that luxury everywhere i hunt hay fields and yeah. oak timber and that's just all i get but since hunting illinois last year they rotate so last year they had corn all around us well it was a super wet spring so they planted super late and corn stayed up past their gun season yeah so bow season for me was tough because i had one probably 20 acre field of beans and there was standing corn all around it so i was lucky i finally set up in between the corn and the beans catching them coming out of the corn and every deer i seen that evening come out of standing corn so it was tough for me because everything stayed so green so late in the year and with all the corn being up i mean with you hunt over there and you guys used to hunt around crops you know a cornfield is Standing corn is your worst enemy as, as a bow hunter. I mean, that could be a thousand acres of, it's just like a thousand acres of standing timber. Right, yeah, I mean, it's just, and you can't get in there to hunt them. You no. can't put a tree stand on a corn stalk. So um, it was tough for me. So this year I'm looking forward to it because now where the beans were, which was like the 20 acre field, is going to be a standing corn field and everything around is going to be beans. So now I know where the deer are going to be at. They're going to be huddled around that 20 acres of standing corn going to the beans. So I think I'll do better this year with seeing deer, even if we do have a late plant, which, I mean, everything's in at normal time this year, but even if it does stand a little longer, my confidence is higher because they got less places to hide, I guess, if that makes sense. No, but, it does. So I'm hoping this year I really see a difference in, in deer numbers because I had tons of pictures of deer um, over there. So I know they're there, the sign's there, the trails are there. And I've seen a bunch, but with that standing corn and it's just – I got to see just very little rut activity in timber because I'm sure they were chasing in the corn and everything else. Yeah. But. What about you, Nathan? Well, I it just you know, and kind of on that fact, I, I really haven't because where we hunt, for some reason, the the mass part, you know, the rotation is kind of a little bit away from us where we actually do get to hunt, and it is the mass majority of what gets farmed on the farms that we hunt is probably i would say close to 240 250 acres gets planted in one thing and only 10 gets planted in the opposite right now um, on the rotation that they have it on so i mean we're either way majority corn or we're way majority beans um and so it's kind of 
I don't know. I haven't noticed anything definitive, but I know what I've tried to do in the last couple times on our fall food plots, and even, like I said, we're putting the clover in and everything else. Um, I've tried to go back in and even a little bit later after we plant it and put in like a cover crop of like rye or, or, or you know, a cereal rye or something like that and actually something that also <clears throat> draws nitrogen into the soil along with the um, clover just because it, it, for one, it helps it helps the clover go because it, it, it kind of covers it, shades it from the sunlight and doesn't let it get burnt up because you get too much sun on clover, mm -hmm. it will burn up. Um, on you pretty quick and two we're around most of our timber is oaks we got a bunch of oaks out there and the oak the leaves the acorns the you know everything tend to zap the nitrogen out of the soil so um, actually I've, I've noticed a pretty big difference in the last couple of years on not having to put as much um, you know fertilizer and everything in the ground with like I said using those cover crops and I've also been trying to minimally disturb the soil that way it keeps the nutrients better we've been just kind of roughing the ground up mm. going killing it off where we're going to put our fall food plots and then rolling it in and yeah. just rolling over that dead stuff and it kind of forms a little moisture a little barrier too, yeah, and, it, and, and 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 honestly guys i it is i've noticed it's, it's worked very well the moisture in the ground has stayed better the nutrients in the ground has stayed better and our food plots have looked better the last couple of years so yeah. You guys, because um, we're talking early here, you guys, if you have the opportunity, do you set up on water? I know you don't. Do you, Ronnie? Yeah. Um, that's usually what's before the acorns start falling. Like I said, I plant food plots out there at our farm, and, and they hit them and stuff, and I do, I'll do a mix of, like, clover, rape, chicory. Um, I'll put some radish. I put, started putting radishes in last year, and that did really good. Um, I've really started leaning more towards the rape because it holds so much moisture. So early season, they usually kill it. The leaves are supposed to get real big, but I've never seen them get bigger than like a golf ball, and they just munch them down to the stalks. I mean, they just destroy it. But um, where we're at, we have a creek that runs through the middle <clears throat> of the farm, and there's there's usually always several good puddles up through it. So I typically will try to get between bed and that, if possible with what you know wind permitting and stuff like that but if I can hunt a water source early that's I look at water sources more important when it's 95 degrees than I do where they're eating at yeah so I mean we're hunting in Missouri and, and uh season opens up on the 15th it can be and I've seen it be 96 oh, degrees yeah, on for sure two you, two you years ago the first was, week was, was yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah the first week was in the mid 90s for the for a solid first week of bow season I mean just well, Brian last year killed a doe uh, the day of his surprise birthday party. Remember, his girlfriend sent him out, and he killed a doe that more, that afternoon and drug her back, and he killed her at, like, 3.30. Mm -hmm. And I was like, it's 96 degrees. What the hell are you going to do with her? He goes, oh, we'll just pack her full of ice. I was like, mm, well, yeah. I'm not eating her. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I've been a firm believer in uh, – I hunt in Wildwood, too, and it was, like, that early season. I'm like everybody else that loves to hunt that early – first week, you're ready to kill something. Yeah. I, mean, I just I've been waiting long enough. I want to go kill some. So Wildwood is piled full of does. I mean, just overpopulated. So it's literally, if you don't kill one, something major has happened. You know, something big. If you don't get a shot opportunity, and I went up there and it was morning hunt. It was still cool that morning, like seventy two ish, but it was going to get like mid nineties in the afternoon. 
and I shoot this doe, and that wildwood is nothing but hills, hills and bottoms, hills mm -hmm. and bottoms. Well, every deer you shoot runs to the bottom. Doesn't matter where it's at, it's going to run to the bottom. And I drug this thing out. I was sweating to death. I'm like, the last thing I want to do is mess with this deer. You know what I mean? What am I going to do with it? What am I going to do with it now? So I called a butcher on the way home. I've always processed my own deer. I called him and said, man, what do you guys charge to process these deer? He said, you skin it, I'll do it for 70 bucks. I said, I'll be there in 10 minutes. Deal. <laughs> <laughs> it was the best $70 I ever spent. <laughs> so, yeah, the early season, I get the itch and I got to kill one. But, yeah, I, I typically, I'll take mine to a butcher. I don't even try to mess with this because you don't have time. And... No. Well, early season, once you punch the trigger, the fun is over. Oh, it's done. Yeah, <laughs> it's immediately re almost regretting. You're already sitting done. there. I, you're already sweating your ass yep. off. I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how they can't smell me. I can smell myself. Yep. But, uh, yeah. Brian and I killed one. Well, he was filming for me a couple years ago, and uh, it was 94, and I spined it, and I thank God I spined it. It was an awful shot, but if I hadn't, Who oh, knows? my God. Yeah. It would have been miserable. Walking yeah. off those hills, ticks and snakes and Especially God knows what else. hit high in no man's land just under that spine and track oh. that thing for miles, you know what I mean? It was, and it was big enough I wasn't just going to let it walk, you know, but afterwards I was like, oh, that's a lot of work. That's like, a lot of work. Thank God you spined it. Yeah. Well, we kind of hit on it, but uh, let's talk about food plots here for a minute. Um, you were saying what, what you planted a spring food plot. Mm -hmm. um, what'd you put in again? Spring, uh, I planted clover, and I started it. I've always I, I made a mix of a fall plot like three years ago, and since then it's like a one acre field. And since then I've done I completely tilled it up, turned it over, and just made it clover. And I frost seeded this year early, and uh, the it's coming in super thick. I mean, the, it looks awesome. And I've already cut it three times because how fast it's growing. So it's going to be a really good plot. And I've seen a lot of deer in it last year. But um, springtime, that's usually what I'll go for. I'll plant clover in the spring. If I can get in before turkey season, if the weather's right, that's when I'll do it. One, for I mean, to my luck, turkeys love fresh dirt. I mean, I've always done great in dirt. I mean, I guess you don't have there to dust or whatever else, but... Um, plus, if you can catch them growing a little bit early, they just seem to hit that clover when it's super tender. But, um, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. But fall plots. Well, hold on a second. Did you you said you put in beans too, right? Yeah, I did. I did. When did you get those in the ground? Probably two months ago. It was yeah, probably about two months ago. Usually, we try to get was like the first part of May. Okay. When we put them in, and uh, I planted around the around the rain, and let's. My thing is, I know there's a, there's a date variable on all your food plots, and everybody says, I put my food plots on this day every year. Well, I watch weather. I mean, if if I see rain coming for a couple days, I'll get it in the ground. Even if it's the 1st of August, if I see rain coming, just usually once August hits in Missouri, we're lucky to get consistent amount of rain. So I plan around weather permitting. So if it is a little early, I will put it in the ground early, but I try to plan it around when it's going to rain but um the i planted those like i said may and they're coming in really good we've been lucky we've gotten rain up till this point the last couple weeks it's starting to dry, it's dry out but, oh i think we got some i think we, uh, we got three tenths of an inch rain here yesterday yeah it rained, it <laughs> rained yesterday and like I said, i'm hoping it helps out because they're, they're they're right at that hinging point of blowing up you know what i mean yeah. so we, we can get some rain on they'll really take off what's are you putting in fall plots mm -hmm. yeah so when we start those i'll actually start brush hogging this week okay because i will brush hog my stuff off i'll leave it lay for a week and then i'll come in and spray it 
and leave it lay for two weeks after I spray it to get everything out of it and then I'll come in and turn it over so if I start this week you figure about a four week variance is going to put us mid-August and that's I typically try to have them in by mid-August that way they can get growing and get somewhat sustained before they start piling to food and then I kind of catch the acorn yep. wave to where they're more because I mean I don't care what especially around me it doesn't matter what you plant in the field once acorns start falling just oh they prefer acorns yeah yeah forget about else. whatever you planted so what are you gonna put in this fall I'm gonna do uh or a, August yeah it's the same mix I, I do I've done it for two years on our farm I've had great luck with it and it's uh synergy clover rape deer radishes and chicory and I just mix it all in a bag and typically I'll buy enough of each seed to do however big of a food plot I'm doing so it's just, I overseed for sure, but when it comes in, it's super thick and there's a lot there to eat. But that's, I've had great luck with that mix because it kind of grows at different rates and they eat it at different rates. So the clover is always good. Um, the rape is a really good early season. Like I said, it carries a bunch of moisture. So they usually will devour that usually by like the 1st of October, my rape's gone. And then... After that, I kind of rely on the radishes and the chicory and the clover to keep them a green source. Basically, once this year, when the beans start drying out, they'll have two. Well, they'll all have three big green food sources on the farm for them to once they transition from acorns from beans to greens again. We'll kind of have them. What's it usually look like in December? Have they mowed it to the ground, or is there something left? Typically, <clears throat> I I have always underestimated the amount of browsing pressure out there. Um, we have really good deer numbers, and, and I should, I mean, now this year I finally learned to, like, quadruple the size of my food plots, but I always put in, like, a smaller, like, a killer plot, I guess you'd want to call it, to something small to catch them before they go out to the bigger fields, and, like, I've, I bought a tiller for my tractor, so I till everything, and I've had great luck with my food plot since I started doing that, I don't know if this helps with that much more oxygen in the soil and gets it turned over, but, um, once once it's gone it's down to dirt like it doesn't grow weeds at all because of that little process i figured out over time of planting them and getting weeds and planting them and it not growing good not getting good seed to soil contact and you know it's just a process of how big are your plots this year typically like i said i've always underestimated i've always done like half acre stuff just something to get them there before they go other places and they just will eat it to dirt there'll be nothing but dirt so this year I did an acre of clover, I did four acres of beans, I'm going to do two acres of, well actually total, there's going to be one food plot that's two acres, one's going to be about three quarters of an acre and the other's going to be an acre. So I'm like hardcore hitting food this year because I want them to not leave at all. So the does usually always stay, but I'm hoping with all of that food between beans and all those food plots, because like I said around us there's no... Yeah. There's no ag, and the only thing around us is hay fields. So there's clover mixed in with it, so they'll browse other places, but I want them to know there's food here. Yep. Are, are so. you planning on leaving those beans standing for late season? Yep. Are you? Yeah, I'm not going to touch them. I planted them just to leave them. I don't, you know, there's, I don't, I'm not going to harvest them or nothing. So Right. Yeah, they'll be standing, and that field is it's secluded. It's, it's a four-acre field. It's got the one-acre field that butts up to it. It's just separated by a tree line. So the one-acre is the clover. And on the other side, the side of that is a bedding area, so I'm kind of have a a line of, in my head what they're going to do, you know, because sure. they always, I know where they come out of bed, and I'm hoping they come out and hit that clover a little early, and then they 
get out to the beans. Plus, that clover will relieve a little bit of the browsing pressure off my beans because they're not used to that. So once they really figure out what's growing, I'm hoping they don't just mow it down before I get to reap the benefits. But if so, oh well, you know, live and learn. But what about uh, what about you, Nathan? What I know what your story is, but what what do you what what? How do you start your? You don't. We don't ever plant anything in the spring. No, no, because again, we got we got. We got plenty of row crop around us. I mean, for them to eat on, and I mean that was that was kind of my my big thing on putting those couple little. We cleared off an area. I guess I think it was three years ago now um, that I cleared off another about three quarters of an acre in and on one of the farms, and uh, <clears throat> and then cleared two other smaller plots off of a big hayfield to. Uh, to put some clover in and again I, I limed and frost seeded those and they're doing real well I mean I think this is either year three or four I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember but they're doing real well um, but yeah we other than that I, and the reason for clover is just to have because it comes up so fast Easy. I mean it, it, it well and it, and it's the first thing that greens up in the in the springtime you know even before really the crops are starting to get up it gives them it, it gives them something to eat on and, and something else just to hang in our area. So that was my real purpose for those. But after that, yeah, we just, we do fall plots. Um, like I said, we got row crop, we got oak trees out the wazoo. I mean, about every form of oak tree you can think of out there. So, I mean, there, there's plenty of food, there's plenty of water. We, you know, we got springs out there. We got, you know, a river that runs right by there. You know, we have everything that we need out there so i just hit it in the fall for when you know the leaves come off the beans or, or when they get the corn cut and everything and and again we do a we do a blend kind of like you did uh, he got us a pretty good one i that worked last year and we we had the same thing it, you know it was uh, clover rape um i think there might have been a weed in it uh and then we also got we we do turnips and radishes uh both when we go through and do those but like i said i've we've been having pretty good luck we got we ran onto a a culti packer um a couple years ago and that thing is very essential as oh, yeah. far as getting your good seed to soil <clears throat> contact and and again i'm going to do the same thing about like you ronnie i'm going to go through and probably where we're going to put in the fall food plots we'll probably you know we'll probably till it up a little bit but i'm going to go through and spray it we'll probably cut it spray it you know a couple weeks after and then go in a couple weeks after that hopefully depending on rain and uh just you know just we just really we've been roughing it up and then taking either that culti packer or we got a roller over there on the other farm and it's just seemed to work very well and it just again it lays that stuff over puts a little moisture barrier on it and and helps hold um quite a bit of moisture but yeah that's uh and then i and i and i can't remember where I saw it but and then I typically like to come in once that stuff starts coming up and I'll, I'll either do a you know a rye a cereal rye or something like that that stays green in the winter because Todd will tell you just like yours we haven't put a food plot out there that does not look like a, a green on a golf course by the time winter rolls around I mean they have mowed down everything to where it's stubble mm -hmm. um, just mud yeah, yeah. and the, the good thing and about rye is anytime anytime the air temperature or the soil temperature gets above 32 degrees rye will grow 
it, it, it will start regenerating itself. And, and a lot of these other things like clover and everything else, they'll go dormant. Yeah. So if you actually put that in a little bit later, it'll, you know, not that it's going to, you know, give you mass crop that they're just going to be coming in hammering, but it's just going to, you know, Something it'll else. keep coming up yeah. because in Missouri, it, it does get cold, but it doesn't stay cold long term. You know, it'll be cold as crap for, you know, three days a week. You know, and then it'll turn, and it might be 50 degrees, right. and you know, well, in January, so it it'll start to come back up. You can right. even see if we get like one of those late fall, early winter mm-hmm. um, Indian summers, for lack of a better word, where to get up in the. And I think last year on Christmas Day it was like 70 degrees. Yeah. You get three or four days of that. Now it doesn't stay like that, but you can almost see it. It almost some of that rye. A lot of times mm-hmm. the wheat will almost even begin to turn a little bit green again. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that, and then that's why that's why again I'll, I'll put it I put it out there just just for because we just don't have a lot of you know they the the hay fields the, the farmers out there they take care of so we, we try not to step on their toes too much you know we try not to take too much of their stuff and these aren't our farms that we hunt so we can't exactly go in and clear yeah, out a whole yeah. bunch of area and make food plots and everything else so we got to kind of deal with what we have and, and again i just think that's a good way to just kind of just keep something there kind of like the clover does early you know that rye just will keep growing throughout the winter and, and give them something to chew on right. uh, throughout the winter so all right well food plots um and i know like i said Nathan and I don't own the farm uh, that we hunt, uh, or I hunt up north. I don't own that farm. Um, when Nate, uh, I'm sorry, Ronnie, when you're putting a, in a food plot, do you try to design the plot knowing uh, you know wind directions and where you want your deer to come from? Oh, for sure. Like killer plots, yep. as they call them. Yep. Yeah, and that's what typically I'd always done up till this point. This is the first year that I actually planted beans and and on a large enough food plot that takes up the whole field um i always just kind of do the smaller stuff to because i mean i don't care how long you've been hunting you never figure deer out to an extent you know what i mean you, you get an idea of what they're going to do but they always seem to do something different whenever you think they're going to go to the left they're going to go to the right you know they're a wild animal mm-hmm. you can get an idea of what they're doing but you're never going to know what a deer is going to do and um so over the years of you know hunting this farm now and figuring them out i've been able to that's why i put that clover plot where i did because now i'm learning that there was an old fruit orchard on the other end of this that's not it's off of our farm but um it's on the neighbors but that's typically where they bed at because there's been nothing done in that field it's just thick overgrown prime time bedding area on top of this ridge so that's why i kind of planted that clover right next to it and then the beans next to it to kind of give it a transition of i know they're coming out of here you know they bed it's to the north so when they're coming out of their bed typical on a north wind because i mean other than super early season which i don't hunt that spot if they're super early a north wind is perfect because they're coming out of the bedding gonna hit the clover which i can cut them off there and even if they do come in the beans boy or i'm at i'm still above them in the wind to where i shouldn't get winded but um i i always take in consideration i usually will pick a stand location according to the wind and then from there I'll design where my food's going to be at because, I mean, I I love my scent lock, um, but nothing makes you invisible to a deer's nose. That's I don't right. Care, I don't care what brand it is. I don't care what they claim. Um, they work. I'll for sure say it helps. I've, I've seen that myself, but nothing makes you invisible to a whitetail. So 
the best thing that I always do, the wind is my number one thing. Is If my wind's right, that's where I'm hunting. So fall, typically we see anywhere from a northwest, northeast, east wind. Usually where I'm at, seems like in the fall, that's the majority of our wind. So from there, where the deer are coming from, I hang a stand and I'll put food to where I can almost guide them where I need them to go, basically. But do you... When you're when you're designing, do you design a exit and entrance route? I know Nathan does. Nathan uses the road that uh, runs beside the farm, mm-hmm. and he he walks down the road, and then he's got a path so he can walk in the back side of it. Is that what? You, do you have a do you have an exit and an entry and exit strategy when you're going in and out? With my small food plots, I didn't really think about it too much because I really wasn't banking on that. Why I'm killing deer because of that food plot? That was just there as a bonus to. If they were in the field, maybe they'll come over to this part where I'm at. Basically to give a reason to be right where I am. But with the beans I did this year, there's an old logging road that follows the fence line up on the farm that hasn't been touched. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe since the fence was put in, you know, I mean, it's, it's so overgrown. So I went in this year and I cut that old logging road out, which it wasn't terrible, but there was, you know, saplings the size of golf balls, stuff after years of growth. And I cut it all down to where now, whenever I come into the farm, I can walk up that logging road that's in the timber, and there's a strip of timber in between my clover field and the beans, and that logging road comes out on the back side of that timber to where, from the bean field, in the morning I would feel confident hunting it. And you never want, you know, you always hear, never hunt a big food source like that in the morning because you're going to blow deer out. Yep. I'm a firm believer of it. But with how this is set up, I know I could get in as long as there's not a deer right under my stand. But if there's deer in that beans, I'm confident I can get in my stand without being detected, of course, obviously wind being right and everything else. But my path getting in, physically they can't see me. Yeah. So I did take that into consideration this year because I've never had hunted a big food source like that. So I haven't really had a have to have a entrance or exit. But I thought, well, with these beans, I'm going to have to have something because I can't just come stumbling through the field yeah. wide open and you know, be good with it. So I think this year I, I did make an entrance to at least get to it to where I'm concealed to get to my stand. Okay. Well, I know the reason I asked that is Nathan did that a few years ago on the farm we hunt. Again, it's a hay field. Uh, I think they've got, I think the majority what they hay out of it's Timothy, I think. But you knew that you couldn't go, you couldn't hunt it in the morning. Uh, and then also getting out of it in the evening, there was no good way, you know, you were always going to blow deer out of it. So you went, and I don't know, what is that, probably, I don't know, 400 yards down there? Yeah, you, I'd say. You walk the road, and then you've cut a path from the road to the edge of the field. It's probably, what, 100 yards? I'd say, yeah. Yeah, so you cut a path, and then I think even, and correct me if I'm wrong, even went in with a rake and raked it, right? So you could slip in and out. Yep. And, uh. Yeah, I've, I've actually, there was, uh, I, I went, I went and hunted that in, uh in the morning and it was it was actually a foggy morning last year and I snuck down the road and you got to go up this embankment to kind of get up there so I can kind of sneak up this embankment to get to that oak flat mm-hmm. and I can just kind of poke my head up well typically that time of year most of that underbrush stuff is off so I mean I can see that field and I you know I can kind of survey things when there and I and I could actually see a deer walking right along the tree line and it was walking away from me up the field and 
I literally snuck in right behind this deer because of what I had done and that deer never knew I was there. He fed, or this deer fed up the field and then came back down and walked right past me after I had walked in, got into my stand. Um, the problem, um, and Todd will tell you this, on the farms that we hunt, the problem is access. Um, you have to get very creative with access on these farms uh, and a lot of the times either go a very unconventional way in or walk some there is some serious up and down on these farms and I mean really tramps through some timber that could possibly have deer bedded on them so it's just very tricky you either got to come through big ridgetop fields to get to these places that we hunt which again that time of year if they're bedded anywhere near them or coming out to mm -hmm. eat they're going to see you coming in or you go trampsing through too much timber right. at that time of year with the leaves dry and falling and everything else, you you know you could bust some deer out there as well. And we're we're always tiptoeing around what you know how aggressive to be out there and everything else because this is our main farm to hunt close to the house. So it, it's we're always back and forth on you know getting good access, but also with accessing it during you know the right wind and and not blowing out deer and everything else. So it, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely tough to do out there. Right. It, it makes those deer really tough to hunt. It really does. Access is the biggest thing on that farm because it's an awesome farm. But if you could, and it butts up to about God knows how many acres of standing timber. Yeah. Uh, it it probably goes on for two or three miles back over towards Mammoth Bridge, <clears throat> which if you're around here, you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's just no good way into it. You've got to cross an open field to get to it. Um, where I hunt on the back side of the farm, I have to cross the open field and then walk through the bedding area to get to where I hunt. Um, now they, they move in and out. And the other thing about where we hunt around here is we hunt in the hills. This isn't farm ground for the most part. There's, there's some row crops that stand, but for the most part, people are cattle farmers around here. Um, and it's, we live on rocky ridges is all we live on and to get it's always been my biggest problem around here is i know where i want to go but i'm also scared to go in there yep. because i don't want to blow the farm up mm -hmm. uh, and nathan's the same way we have this discussion every year i'm like you know i want to go but uh, you know you can only blow out a, a monster buck so many times before he just moves just on keep on going so that's always been and like nathan was saying access is the biggest thing if i had the money i'd buy the place right now wouldn't think twice about it, but I, it, it is a hard farm to hunt. And a lot of farms like that around here are. Um, access is the biggest thing, and, and these big draws where the deer can hang out and you just can't get into them. Mm -hmm. But um, We have a big field on our farm, and like I said, the, the highway split it. So luckily for us, the deer are always used to hearing traffic mm -hmm. constant. I mean, it's constantly 18-wheelers, trucks, cars, motorcycles, people hitting rumble strips, so they're – a, they're accustomed to these sounds so like we do when we hunt the big field on the side of the highway side we'll go up through the woods the logging road but once we get to that field we'll go all the way to the edge of the field where the bluff is where it drops off to 20 you know 21 there and follow that up because they're used to seeing headlights they're used to hearing traffic so that buck that my dad killed this year he rode his four-wheeler almost all the way to the blind that he sat in where he killed that deer so you guys know just as well as i do to kill a deer of that caliber to almost drive to your blind and do it 
you know, well, most people would say there ain't no way I'm going to drive something that close, you know, drive a vehicle to something like that. But it works. It's and, whatever the con- deer conditions. Right. Are. And so if, I it's, mean, if it's farm ground, a lot of times the tractors don't phase them a yeah, bit. Tractors. Matter of fact, side. there's a deer sitting right behind us that I walked behind a tractor and shot at. And I thought, there's no way this works. <laughs> and my buddy said, he won't even look up. And he didn't. I remember when the tractor cleared, I was standing there in the open, and I was like, oh, I can't even believe this happened. I'm 15 yards from this That's deer, and he doesn't know I'm in the place. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Let me ask you guys this, because we kind of hit on this one a little bit, but um, cameras, you guys, as the summer rolls on, we're going to get our cameras out. I've got three out, plus about eight in Illinois. You've got a few out. Nathan's mm-hmm. going to put his out in about a month, maybe a little sooner probably. Hopefully, because I'm interested to see what he gets. Um, you transition your cameras as from summer to fall locations, and where do you usually do that? Me, typically, up until last year, I finally changed gears, but I would leave. I I never take my cameras down. Um, they stay up outside 365. I go out and swap it even through February, March, when there's really nothing I'm constantly, I still check my cameras. I don't check them as often, but I'll still go check them once a month. Make sure my batteries are good and just see, take inventory of if bucks are still hanging on to antlers, if new bucks have moved in, what kind of deer herd I'm looking like. Because to me, there's just more pieces of the puzzle. Even though it's not hunting season, I'm still hunting them. You know, I'm still figuring out, okay, so at what point in time are these deer transitioning from their spring to their summer pattern from summer to fall fall to winter so for me i never take them down but last year i started putting all my cameras in places that i think they're coming from versus where they're going to so i didn't get as many pictures but the information that i got told me i mean i figured out a seven and a half year old whitetail i didn't kill him my dad did but i had him figured out i moved my camera i knew where his bedroom was I was consistently getting pictures an hour before daylight and an hour after. So I knew I knew where the bedroom was So at. let me ask you this. Brian, Brian's big on this, and I'm kind of getting that way. <clears throat> do you move them, do you move your cameras closer to see exactly so you can try to pin down where he's coming from? I mean, Brian's big point is, you know the deer's there. Let's start moving around to see if we can find out where he's coming from. Yeah, um, and I'll say ish on that deal because okay. – my thing is, um, there's a section on our farm that I, this is the first year I stepped in it to shed hunt. Other than that, I went to the edge of it tracking a buck I killed and a doe I killed. Other Sanctuary. Than, yep. I don't go in it. I leave it alone and I'll never put a camera in it because I know the deer are there. I don't need to go in there because that's, and I don't care what camera you got. Even though you don't get like the flash like you used to. I mean, you know, the old ones that took like the seesaw batteries that blind you at night yeah. to take a picture. Um, I was a very firm believer in them scaring deer off. They could. You know, there was multiple times I would get pictures, just a handful of pictures of a nice buck and never get another picture of them again. Not like for a few days, ever again. They're not dumb. You know what I mean? They see this flash. That's not normal. They've lived their whole life up to this point and never seen this thing that's not normal. So they move away from it. And, you know, it's just... So I've learned that even with the new cameras, you may not see that flash, but you see a red light. They pay attention to things, you know what yeah. I mean? Just like we do. If you're walking in your house that you've lived in for five years and you all of a sudden see a little red light flash in your living room, are you going to check that out and say, man, something's different? How'd that get here? You know what I mean? They're surviving. they got to survive because we want to kill them, and they know it. So 
I don't get too crazy with moving them close to core areas, but I did move them around, and it did it did pay off because I did figure him out. And like I said, I I've, I've, we've talked about it before in here with my dad killing that buck. I'm tickled pink that he killed it. I'm happier he killed it than I did, but I got just as much out of it because how many people can say they figured out a seven and a half year old whitetail? Yeah, not many at all. You know, what I mean, it just most guys that kill those happen to be in the right place at the right time, and I figured him out. And I knew where he was going, where he was staying, and when he was moving, and ultimately got him killed, which was the plan for us, you know, instead of the neighbor. But um, no doubt moving those cameras around. I, I stepped out of my comfort zone with it and decided to try it. Like Brian said, let's figure out where they're coming from because I'm the type of person where if I know a deer is going to from point A to point B, that's fine because I know he's going to be at point B, but I want to know where he's going. How's he getting to point B from point A? Is there a spot that I can do like a hanging hunt to cut him off or he doesn't know I'm there but I can get him 20 minutes earlier because he's That's right. still in the timber so I did I stepped out of it like I said I didn't get as many pictures as what I did on like food sources and scrapes and all these things but I got the right pictures if that's, that makes sense that's exactly I mean you know he's there that, right. like Brian and I were talking last week on the episode uh, the podcast about trail cameras and we butt heads about it stuff a lot on, on philosophies He's way more, let's say, aggressive. Mm-hmm. I tend to be more laid back and that I, I'm scared. I'm like we were saying before. I'm scared. I'm going to blow the place up. Or, There's a time and a place for aggressiveness, yeah. and it's not all the time. You, you know what I mean? Brian likes to run wide open, and we all know Brian, and that's how he is. And he's a, he's a great hunter, and it can pay off. But, but he's he's pretty much convinced me that look, we don't need to leave these cameras sitting here. We know he's here. Let's find out where he's mm-hmm. coming from. So and that's that's what I did. That's what I did last year, and it I mean it paid off. Yeah, I, I obviously it did. But what about you, Nathan? Uh, yeah, actually, the last couple of years I've I've been moving them around. Um, again, I, this is the this is the first year um, that <clears throat> that I actually pulled them um, late winter, and I haven't put them back out since. I ran into a, a string of bad luck uh, this this last year, and lost some lost some cameras and and had to had to replenish so i'm trying to make sure i keep hold of these what spring hurt you didn't <laughs> yes uh, the last picture on one of my trail cameras i got a duck swimming by it and, that, <laughs> and it was done after that but uh but yeah so i don't have them out but again i i, I did move them um just again in different spaces uh, the summer last year you know i i put them in places where there was where there was water um you know where another thing is we're at a disadvantage here where we hunt in missouri we can't put out we can't bait and we can't put out mineral because of cwd it's not like that everywhere but in missouri but where we're at that's you know we're one of the cwd counties Illinois is the same way yeah i was out of my element over there it's because you you can over there you can still use like a um oh crap like i use scrape fix stuff you know, like the synthetic powder, make, yeah. and I'll make mock scrapes. That's what I did last year because I, I put them on trails, but you hunting Illinois, there's no reason to hunt a trail because there's 9,000 of yeah. them over there. So you can't really pick out a trail and hope for the best because you don't know if a deer is going to use it or not. They might use it today but never use it again for another month. But So that was what I had to do there was just make mock scrapes and hope for the best because you can't do anything else to get them to stop or That's give them true. a reason to stop there. But. You've well, been hanging them on water, and you even made a little water hole out there, didn't you? Actually, I made two different water holes on on two of the farms um, that we have, and um, they've actually they've actually been really good um, all year. Again, just kind of 
just in different spots. Again, we do have water, but just kind of away from them. Uh, again, around some oak flats, things like that. But the lease I had last year was in one of the counties in Missouri that you can still put minerals out. So uh, again, if you can, if it's legal where you're at and everything else, you know, if you can put if you can put some minerals out during this you know, late spring, early summer, especially, I mean, bucks are growing antlers, the does yeah. need it for, you know, Dropping for their, their milk, fawns. for their fawns and everything else. So, I mean, they will, they will absolutely hammer it. And that is a fantastic place um, to, if you can get some minerals out close to some water or put a watering hole in like I did, that is a fantastic place to get inventory mm -hmm. during the summer um, because they're going to be there. They're going to yeah. find it and they're going to hit it. You can get a lot of pictures. Um, but then, yeah, I, I typically, I have uh, transition. I'll go out when we go put our, you know, uh, our food plots in or when I go overseed back with rye or something like that. We're getting a little bit closer to the season. Um, you know, you can start to see things starting to open up. There'll be some rubs. Uh, you know, you might even you might even see a little bit of scraping and things like that. How ready uh, are you to see that? Uh, I can't even, <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you, but... But typically during that time, I, I will transition it from there and and put it on the scrape mm -hmm. for a little while. Because again, that time I'm transitioning, I want I want buck inventory, right. and I'm not trying to see you know deer population. Yeah, I don't care how many does I got at this point. Yes, time. Yeah. you know I'm trying to figure out where the bucks are at, and then and then from there, if it warrants it, I'll do like what you're talking about. If I can if I can tell a certain direction that buck is coming from, I will go in there try to find a trail. And, you know, and, and I'll, you know, walk off that trail just a little ways, but just try to find it, look over the area, look if there's a ridge, if there's a thick bedding area that happens to be right in there yep. and find a couple of trails coming out to see, um, to see if I, again, can't catch where they're coming from or knowing right. where they're bedding because, and it's a very fine line, Todd and I have talked about it a million times, you know, but I'm telling you right now, the closer you can get to bedding with out bumping deer with your access with wind with all of this stuff the more deer you're gonna see oh, yeah. the more successful hunts you're gonna have not saying you can't kill deer on food plots you can but just I, again your access in and out they're gonna be there very early in the morning when you're trying to go in there you're there and you don't want to spook deer off your food source mm -hmm. you want them to come there religiously that's what you're putting it there right. for so I, to me, getting somewhere in between there and where they're bedded is very, very crucial. And if you can use your cameras to give you that information, it's, it, it's a game changer. Right. It really is. I, th I think on the farm we've talked about, I think you and I know where they're at. We do. We, we, we know within 70 yards of where they're bedded. Yep. It just can't go there. Um, and I think this year I'm going to – like I said, get out of my comfort zone a little bit and try a little closer uh, just because Brian never gets off my ass about it. <laughs> but um, it's just it, – it's easy to slip into habits. It's easy for us to – I've got a nice box blind. It's easy to sit in comfort. that. Yeah. It's easy to sit in that and hope um, where if I knew if I got off in the brush a little more, I'd be better off. You've got a – your grandpa's got a hell of a box blind. It, it's great to sit in. During the rut, you're probably going to see some bucks. During late season, it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably, you know, I always think to myself, oh, there's probably a 4 or 5% chance. So there's a 95% chance I'm not going to see anything right. or just does. Yep. Uh, but 
I hung that. I hung a stand actually last year to kill that big buck because I knew his bit where his bedroom was. I went in, I hung it, and I stayed out. I didn't put a camera in there. I didn't need to because I knew that's where he was. And I hung that stand to kill that buck. And like we talked about before that evening, my wife made a hair appointment. Yeah. So I had all the kids in the blind with me. And if if they hadn't have been, I would have been in that stand because I knew he was coming through that timber to get out to the big field. Where he had, where he was going to food, and he had three scrapes right there. He was hitting every single day. So if I'd have been sitting in that stand that evening, I'd have killed him. No doubt in my mind, I would have killed him. And because he walked, he come, I come out right, right where Dad showed me. He walked out as the trail that leads from that point to his bedding area, and I was in between it. So, like I said, I don't, I don't always try to hunt where the deer are going or where the deer are at. I want to hunt where they're coming from. Was that a booner? Yeah. Damn. Yep. Yeah, it's a booner. Yeah, That's he's awesome. got. As soon as you walk in the front door, it's right in your face. I'd so. be sleeping with that sucker. Oh, kick God. my wife Beautiful out. Buck. Just you know, and every time I'm there, I mean, I like I said, he wouldn't even know that deer existed if it wouldn't have been for me. But I helped him drag it. I got it. I did everything. He's still got to show me every time I go in their house. Did you see that deer when you walked down the steps? Yeah, Dad, I seen it. Yeah, good for you. Yeah, yeah. Good Thanks again, him. Dad. Yeah. <laughs> Do um. I got some just some quick summertime questions mm. for you guys. You guys ever put out summertime scrapes? Ah, actually, Scrape Fix makes a velvet mix, and I was leery of it. I don't put out a lot of stuff like that. I've never trusted it to be honest with you because, again, cameras. They you know like the old time they see a flash they wonder how it got there because it's not normal. Same way with mock scrapes early season. I never did it. They came out with this blend, and it was actually back when it was called Winpro. Is when I started with these guys, mm-hmm. and um, it was like, hey, we're gonna have a velvet blend. You should try it. So they sent me some stuff, and I did. And I was impressed with, I don't know what's in it, what the smell is, or what triggers them. I don't think it's a, um, the scrape itself is not a, like a dominant or a, this is my is territory it, kind of scrape. I think it's more of a, I, I don't know. I really can't explain it. Is it, it. a licking branch uh, It's a powder. Scent, it's a powder or is it something form. you actually put down in the scrape? Well, it's powder. So okay. I'll, I'll make a scrape on the ground. I'll put it in the dirt, which the powder works better than liquid because it doesn't evaporate as quick with rain and stuff it, it's almost like a like a mineral would be once it gets in the dirt it soaks in the dirt so then they constantly keep smelling it but i'll put it on the limb above it especially early season because the leaves are so green yeah. you know and, and there's so it holds a bunch of it but um i did i started using the velvet stuff a couple years ago when it started and i've had really good luck with it well buck mom makes a stuff like that that's got uh it's the whatever the gland is on the forehead, forehead yeah, gland, and you yeah. can use that on your licking yeah. branch. And pure whitetail makes some early season stuff too, but they're like a flavored, yeah, uh, like apple and things like that. Like I, I get the scent of it, but to me, I want to keep my spots as normal as possible. I yeah. don't want I don't want um, odd things there because deer are just like us, they're in survival mode twenty four seven. So if something different's coming around, they're wondering why. Why is this? Well, like now? you said. So, it's their bedroom. They know. Right. They know the second. Yeah, we're in out. their house, so they know that if that's not there. Something had to have put it there. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I've had really good luck with with that actually. With I'll be scrapes early. When the when you know when we start getting to like when they when the bucks start rubbing and scraping, mm-hmm. um, if I walk up on a scrape, I, and I piss in it, I've never done that, and I've heard of people doing it, but I've never done it myself. I, I I've read and heard that after. I don't know. Let's say thirty minutes. It's just an ammonia smell, and smell. They don't know it, a human from a deer. Mm-hmm. But uh, they keep, I've got cameras over it, and I've pissed in them. And four hours later, they're scraping at it. So, hmm. Nathan, do you put out anything like that? Um, I typically I made one 
couple years ago um, and they're still using it we have several on those farms just areas that they just typically hint they're always there they, yeah yeah they they're, they're there every year so I, I don't really I and they hit them every year so I, I don't go out of my way scrapes are just yeah. there every year I don't go out of my way to make them I I put some of the stuff that you gave me on that one um over by your old tree stand that we were just talking mm-hmm. about that's been there for 18 years last year. Oh, and that I, big wide oak. Yes. And I believe, because it's got these low-hanging branches that hang about chest high, mm-hmm. and I mean there's four or five of them, and every year there is just a scrape, scrapes down that whole tree line. And so I hung one of my cell cams on that last year, and I I still believe, and I think I send you the picture, that buck I ended up killing that we never had any pictures of whatsoever I, that was the first buck that I got breaking daylight in the middle of October. And he, I believe I killed him. That was probably almost two and a half weeks later. And again, never had any pictures of this deer, but he was out sparring with a little six pointer out in the middle of this field at like seven o'clock in the morning. I remember that picture. Right after. Yeah. Um, and again, he, he came off of that scrape. He actually ran that little buck off of that scrape. I got pictures of, of the whole thing and then awesome. them going out in the middle of the field sparring and, yeah. and everything else. But, but yeah, I, again, we just have those spots. So I, I've never really went out of my way to go, to go make one. Cause I just, I'd rather use what they have there. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the real stuff's better. Well, yeah. I, I mean, again, you they're can't hit, compete with that. They're they're hitting it for some reason or another. Right. You know, so what? Um, let's. I tell you what, I'm gonna start in this one, and then you guys can follow suit. Okay. Um, what do your details look like for the upcoming year? So here's what I've got going on. Uh, because of the COVID, uh, I didn't put in for an Illinois shotgun tag, uh, but I still got the chance now. I was kind of waiting. Uh, my wife had been laid off and I was watching my pennies. Well, I think I've got the opportunity now to, she's got a job. So I'm going to put in for that. Of course, uh, Illinois archery tag. So there I'm out 900 bucks. You're mm-hmm. welcome, Illinois. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. My wife's so excited. I'm out in Illinois. Yeah. It's, it, <laughs> it just, and it, it just infuriates me to give them that money. If so, I thought that it was actually going to the conservation department, right. I'd be like, that's great. But I think as broke as Illinois is, it's probably yeah. going to a general fund to keep your ass afloat. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are those two. And then, of course, I'm going to hunt um, uh, the farm that we hunt here in Missouri. Um, and then I may put in for maybe uh, – I've got a shit pot of uh, points here in Missouri. And me and a friend of mine, uh, you know, Jason LaPlante, or at least his mm-hmm. brother yeah. – uh, We've been putting in for a muzzleloader hunt at Bush Wildlife in North St. Louis or North St. Louis. I guess that's St. Charles County, actually. Mm-hmm. But um, if we don't get it this year, I don't know how because we've got about seven points you stacked should, up. I'd say you almost guaranteed you're all if you got yeah. that many. That's how many I had built up when I got drawn for the archery hunt at Bush two years ago. Really? That yeah, was my seventh year putting Is in. Is it worth it? I've hunted archery there one time. Yeah, um, I wish I did the late season um, so all the crops were gone. I mean, even the crop fields that were picked were just gone. I mean, there was nothing on the ground. So if I could have went back, I would have put in for, I think there's an October. There is. That's um, when I archery. It. Um And then I think in November. I think there's an October, November, and then the December. I think there's a late November season. Yeah. Because. And um, I wish I would have done that November because I think I would have caught, whenever all the deer we've seen, they were grouped up. Bucks were bedded with those. 
obviously breeding was done by that time when we were hunting them. They were just... Do they harvest those fields or do they plant them just for the deer? They harvest them. Oh, okay. Yeah, they harvest them. And like I said, usually you go to a pit cornfield or bean field, you'll see some left on the ground. And like I said, by the time we hunted, it was gone. Yeah. But um, I see, I seen deer. I seen a pile of deer. But I wish I would have gotten that November hunt because I think I would have caught more rut activity, and then I also would have caught more food source oh, yeah. activity also because bush wildlife's huge. And trying to figure a deer out up there in 30 days, I mean, no, it it's like when picking winning lottery numbers. You know what I mean? You just you don't know what they're gonna do, where they're gonna go because you don't have any background with these deer, but. And there's so many places for them to go. But uh, I was, I guess I was kind of happy I did at least get to experience that late because I did get to see the caliber of deer that were there. Um, when we were up there scouting, we couldn't even hunt yet, but we was up there scouting, and I jumped probably one of the biggest deer I've ever seen in my life, um, bedded down with four does, and was just an absolute tank. Just giant, dark, heavy, long tine. Every checklist you want to make on a giant buck. You know well, what I mean, but... I think the biggest buck ever in the wild uh, come off the levee right there. The monarch buck was killed. Was what well, wasn't killed was found dead yep. maybe five miles from there. Yeah, and he's what three thirty something, yeah. something like that. I mean, this this deer here was literally running through the timber with his head almost straight back because the limbs were catching. <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that's just how much stuff. I mean, I'm not even exaggerating. It, you know what I mean? I was just in shock when I'm watching this deer run off with these does, you know, just a giant body and his head is almost straight up in the air because all the limbs catch anymore. He's running through. I thought, oh my gosh. How many acres is this bush, you think? 10,000? Yeah, I mean, it's thousands of acres. And 30 years ago, it was surrounded by farmland, but uh, here in Missouri, that St. Charles area has just exploded. Blown up with. So yeah. it's, I think it's one of the, either the third or fourth biggest county in the state. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's no more than just a suburb for St. Louis now. Right. So now it's just a, it's almost like an urban hunt, except now, that you've got 10,000 acres surrounded by houses yeah. now. Now they did cut back on crops. Did they? Oh yeah. Yeah, there's not nearly as many crops. Um, one area where a couple guys had always gotten drawn told me to go and when I went up there, you could tell that it had been nothing but just CRP and brush for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was always some type of crop. And whenever I was like, no, man, it's brush. It's like, no, no, that's, it was always a corner bean field. We had. I'm like, well, not anymore. And I actually ran into, um, he worked for the Department of Conservation, and I asked him about that. And he said that they did cut back on, I guess they wanted the more quote-unquote natural, which to me boils down to we don't want to spend the amount of money. Yeah. On Do they lease that? Or do they plant it themselves? What, the crops? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know who planted it. He didn't say if a farmer comes in or if they do it themselves and then they keep the money. I don't know. But um, I just know that he said that they cut way back on the amount of crop they put in. Mm -hmm. But what, um, Nathan, what are your details for the year coming up? Um, well, early early season, my goal is going to be to get my, get my boy out there, my six-year-old, get him on uh, – on the task of uh, putting meat in the freezer so he'll uh i got i bought him a crossbow so he's gonna get uh he's gonna get first crack at anything he wants uh out there on the farm that we hunt um i put back in for the rockwoods hunt yep uh, with me and my buddy we 
I had some really good siding, some really serious heartbreak out there I this think year. Every time you're on the podcast, we bring that up. Yeah. I, am, <laughs> I am ready for some serious redemption. Although I don't know if we're get, I'll get drawn. It, it took us three years, I think, last time to get drawn. So I'd say the chances are pretty small. But again, that's a that's a good area. So hopefully, maybe if not, get some get some points built up and and get back out there. I'm going back out to Indiana where I went to turkey hunt this year. Uh, and they invited me back out to uh, to go on a deer hunt out there and it is in a pretty darn good area. It's uh, it's in Indiana right near the uh, Iowa border right on the right on the Iowa uh, the Ohio River, I'm sorry. Indiana, Ohio. It's uh let's Southeastern Ohio is where a bunch of those big bucks have come oh, from. Yeah. Ohio is like a sleeper state. I yeah. mean, you don't hear yeah. a lot of big bucks get killed. This is this is this is about as southeastern Indiana as you can get. Um, right before, like I said, it crosses over into there. So it's uh, it's definitely a good area. I they showed me some really good bucks they have on camera. So I'm excited to get out there. It'll be the first out of state whitetail hunt I've done. To, the turkey hunt out there this year was my first out-of-state turkey hunt, so I'm pretty excited to do that, um, go out there and, and bow hunt that. They got 4,000 acres. That's an old Army base that oh, is wow. nothing but bow hunt only for deer. Oh, so that's awesome. I am, uh, I'm excited to do that, and uh, that's really about it for me. I mean, I'll come back, and I'll probably hunt this. I'll probably go hunt some public ground a couple different uh, weekends. We'll get some good weather, uh, up probably more in northern uh north central uh, missouri but uh that's really about it for me well let me ask you guys this before we get to ronnie with the covid and like the meat shortages and stuff do you think hunting is gonna we'll see more of a increase in hunters this fall depends what kind of hunter they are if they're tender they're going to be scared to death of getting the covid so they'll stay away which hopefully <laughs> that's what i'm banking on but, um i don't know i would I never had a meat shortage, so I mean, no, even me when the, even when the stores are out, I had plenty of deer meat in the freezer. But um, I did hear during turkey season that I thought Missouri sold, and I could be wrong. I thought I heard him say they sold an extra eighteen thousand tags this year. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you got to figure people are going to do whatever they can, but um, you're also going to figure those people that are buying that stuff. Have, probably have no idea what they're doing, but that'll be the guy that kills the two hundred inch whitetail. Well, but, I, um, I think it's gonna, yeah. I think it's gonna affect it. I uh, again, uh, turkey season. We, I mean, in even in Missouri, and I mean, I there was, there was a good, you know, a good amount of turkeys killed this year. And again, like you talked about the tags, um, that seems high. But I remember that there were more turkey tags sold in Missouri this year than the last several years. Right. One, because people, at the time, the state was locked down. There was yeah. nothing else to do. Yeah, you couldn't do anything else anyways. Well, and I we just came back from trout fishing at one of, at one of our state parks, and it was after we left on the 5th of July on a Sunday to go down to the state park to go trout fishing, and we stayed Sunday through Wednesday, and there was not a camp slot to be found on that place it was you can't buy a camper right almost looked like you were it was almost like opening day of trout season and it just with nothing to do that's what everybody's doing so unfortunately i think with this this dragging out and again the fear from everyone or what's being 
put to us that you know that's going to make this big rebound come fall. I, I think you're you're going to find people trying to find something to do to entertain themselves. Right. And I've even had people. I work I work up in the city of St. Louis, and I mean I've got people up there that I've heard say, "Well, I guess we're going to have to start learning how to hunt and fish because we aren't going to be able to do anything else." Yeah. And I, I just I think you're going to see a whole lot of that. I really well, do. Let me tell you one place I'm not going to catch COVID, out in the woods by myself. That's right. Absolutely. I feel pretty safe there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. That's what I told all the, I, I, you know, the guys that I work with. And, I, I mean, because, again, in your urban areas, it is a concern where everybody is so bunched together. And, I, you know, and everybody's like, you're not worried about it? I'm like, look, my favorite pastime is me hanging out by myself on the side of the tree. Yep. I, I said, I don't make it a make it a point to come back into the city after I'm working to go hang out around a bunch of people. My hobby, I go hang out by myself or, or around just my family. I yeah. said so. I, you know, those are the things we do for fun and for enjoyment. So I, my, my concern level is is lower than most. But yeah, I'm with uh, you. What about you, uh, Ronnie? Um, pretty much about the same. Uh, I'll be hunting Illinois this year. And around here, you know, um, usually if I kind of get a break or if I'm not really getting many pictures of deer I want to kill around here, I'll hit some public ground and stuff. Um, the whole, like, the, we were talking about the run and gun stuff, you know, hanging hunts, and I enjoy doing that. Um, I bought a set. It's a XOP stand, and I actually just bought the two-step sticks, um, a little lighter and stuff like that. But um, So I do enjoy getting on public ground and hunting, too. You know I mean? I, I'm lucky enough we have our own farm to hunt and plus i have several farms i have permission to hunt that I've, i'm the only one that hunts them but i still like to get out and it's always fun to see something different yeah different and figure i mean it's just part of the game you know i mean i i love shooting stuff but i have just as much fun figuring it out too so um but i'll i'll be hunting around here i'm kind of banking on our beans early i'm hoping we really get some stuff uh show up from that uh my boy oldest boy he's 12 he's ready to kill on his bow he's out shooting in the yard with me whenever i got to shoot so He's finally shooting enough poundage at 20 yards and closer. I've given him the green light to let one rip on one to see what he'll do. But Plus, I got a crossbow. Um, I was lucky enough. Uh, I actually had one sent to me with uh, through Mossy Oak, and they sent me uh, the HyperGhost 425 and uh, said, here, try this thing out and see what you think of it. Is it screaming at 425 foot per second? If, if it didn't have a light of knock, you wouldn't even see it. Oh, I mean, it's stupid fast. So I could always use that as my backup plan for him to where if he's a little hairy still with his regular bow. But And then my youngest boy, he's seven, and he tells me the other day, our, our oldest daughter, we just got her like a it's a brave, yeah, just something to, to practice with, you know, to get used to, to shooting. And he came up to me the other day and said, Dad, can I shoot Kinley's bow? And I said, yeah, you, you can go shoot. He goes, all right, because i got to get ready for bow season. And I like I laughed about that for I don't know how long because he was dead serious. Walked off straight face. i got to get ready for bow season. You know, I'm like, get get out of here. You know That's what I mean? Awesome. Yeah, yeah, seven-year-old, you got to get ready. But Where do you hear that? I don't know where you would have learned that at. But, uh, yeah, but I am. I'm going to try to get them, uh, get them some kills, and I'll get my wife out there. But mostly hunting right here and, like you said, donate some money to the state of Illinois myself. Yeah. So, yeah can't get here fast enough i know that let me I'm, tell you so last year i was beat up pretty bad uh, i had both my hips replaced last summer 
So my climbing ability was limited, and when I did climb, I was taking, and I don't, I wouldn't say I love this, although I'm not looking down my nose at anybody, but I was taking my crossbow. Mm-hmm. Um, and in Illinois, the night before shotgun season, I had a pretty good buck walk in, and I stopped him. He was 20 yards away, pulled the trigger, and honest to God, I sat there and thought, how in the hell did you miss that deer? I couldn't, I had no idea. And I went down and checked the knock and the blood all over the air. That sucker was cooking so fast, I had no idea yeah. where it was. Yeah. So that can happen. Um, Nathan, you kind of hit on this. You got goals for the upcoming year. Yours is pretty much get your boy a deer, right? Yeah, I, I mean, that that's number one. I mean, for sure, just, you know, he'd go out there and shoot a button or a spike, and I, I'll probably I'll probably be happier than, than anything I shoot this year unless I – happen to run across a two inch, 200 inch deer somewhere or something but i mean other than that yeah that that's goal number one and, and, and just to go out there and enjoy it and just take it all in and you know fling an arrow at the first thing that gets the gets my blood to pumping and and fill the freezer that's always goal number one with yep. the with the season get because uh, we eat a lot of deer around the house and get that freezer filled up and uh and get after some some antlers after that. That's about yep. it. Uh, Ronnie, yeah, about the same really. If I can uh, get get the kids on on one. Our oldest daughter, she's kind of entertaining the idea of wanting to go. She says it. We'll see if she really wants to when the time gets here. But um, my oldest boy, he's killed three now, and now I've told him. I said, "You're waiting on a nice buck, or if you want to kill a doe, you can." But we're done because he's killed two little bucks. Last year he killed a doe and. So this year, I've told him, you know, it's either going to be a nice buck or a doe. You get to pick, but no more little bucks. And if I can get the kids into it some more, even better. And my wife, bless her heart, last year, going to Illinois with me, videoing for me, she literally gave up her entire bow season oh. just to go with me, you know. And, and so that way I wasn't driving to Illinois by myself, and I wasn't hanging stands by myself. And she was right there by my side the whole time, so I owe her you know big time for that because there's not many women that's one gonna support somebody that's got our addiction and two be right there with you to do it so it's definitely her year you know yeah i'm I'm hoping that i can really get her on on something so well i know nathan's kind of the same boat i'm in but my kids are almost 18 and 15 and i've orphaned my wife every year in november for years and years and years (laughs) and always felt kind of bad about it not bad enough yeah yeah not bad enough to stay but and I and, and Ronnie, I mean, I I, I got to say, I, you know, jealous of you a bit because I mean, again, to, to have a wife to do that, that's fine. But uh, my wife, love you to death, sweetheart. Because I'm telling you what I do, I I orphan her every year. She, I mean, and she is, she's supportive as she can be. She knows how I am about it, and she's like, okay, I'll be right here in the house, staying toasty and warm. Yeah. Good luck to you, you yeah. know. And I mean, she supports me the whole way, so. I may love you to death, but uh, I know I'm a pain in the butt, but it ain't going to change anytime yeah, soon. No. So. When my kids were littler, I'd make those calls home when I'd be on like a 10-day stay in Illinois, and it, it would be 
well, how's it going? And then, like, day four, well, you think you're coming home anytime soon? <laughs> <laughs> you actually going to come back? Or? <laughs> and then if I call her, I'm like, I got a good one, Dan. She's like, awesome. You coming home tonight? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the only way I might have the same luck as you, Ronnie, is when the boy starts going with me on these trips. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and she's at she's at the house by herself. Yep. She, she might, uh, we might be able to convince her to drag her along and, yep. you know, go camp Put or something camera like that. Yeah. Yep. But well, other than that, it ain't happening. At least your wife, I, I've, try to convince my wife for 24 years go with me go with me and i've even got a uh nathan's been in my shanty it's it's got heat that you're not gonna even on a, even on a day when it was five degrees you're gonna be toasting mm-hmm. there i'm like you can go just go with me and she goes that doesn't even sound like a little bit of fun yeah. well the first day of muzzleloader season last year i was watching the blues on my phone the blues hockey game and uh, I was cooking a s'more on top of the heater. <laughs> Listen, I, I've been in hotel rooms that ain't quite as nice as this shanty back here in the back <laughs> on his food plot. So <laughs> it's pretty nice if you can't get her back here, but it ain't going to happen. <laughs> We've got a whole bunch of wool carpet upstairs. We're insulating it this year. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. All right, guys. Well, I've held you here long enough. Um Anything you want to add before we wrap it up? We're going to do in a couple of weeks, probably going to do a uh, just a deer camp stories uh, before the season gets going. But um, you guys got anything you want to add? I just, again, it's coming up fast, guys. Just right now, is the, right now is the time to put in your work, get out there, especially you bow hunters, you know, shoot your bow, make sure you're dialed in, and uh, you're going to be sitting up in a tree before you know it. So good be. luck to everybody out there. Hope you all get it done. Yeah, same, same here. Yeah, 62 days. We're closer to deer season than we are turkey season, and it seems like that just ended. Yeah, it does, so, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you think about it, 62 days, if you have any kind of prep work, yep. it's you're out of time. Well, Literally, what, next week is your timeline of killing it, leave it lay for a week, spraying it, it for two weeks, then planting it, and, you know, you're you're at mid-August. Mid-August rolls around after that. It's over for me. I mean, you wake up, and it's bow season. So yep. Yeah, by usually by the 20th of August, I'd like to be done. Oh yeah, yeah just yeah. letting it sit and Sand, soak and wait. Hung, yeah, done. remember that one year we had to do it and we had to redo it in September because it just got flat out burnt up yep. one year. But, but yeah, I mean, if you're gonna have a rough time getting anything of any significance if you don't get it in before the end of October, right. or, uh, August for sure. So the problem is here in Missouri, and I'm probably sh- throughout the Midwest, is that. Generally, late August, I'm sorry, late July, early August is the hottest time of the year yes. here in Missouri, and it's just hard. Yeah, you're hanging a stand, just sweat pouring off yeah. of you. Yep. Sea ticks. Well, my dog is telling me it's time to wrap it up. I apologize for that. So, uh, hey, we appreciate you listening. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page at Hunting. Oh, my God. At uh, Busting Beaks and Chasing Tails. Uh, anyway, we'll talk to you soon. for listening to the Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Bustin' Beaks and Chasin' Tales.